This is Workflow, Episode 10. Workflow is the podcast that helps teams figure out the best way to work, collaborate, and get stuff done. Brought to you by Rindle. Hey, everyone. I'm Brian, and I'm the co-founder of Rindle, and this is our podcast, Workflow. Today, we're talking to Asia Matos of Demand Maven about project management and marketing teams. So Tom is on vacation. I'm running solo, and I took the opportunity here to do an interview with somebody else. Uh, Asia Matos is a marketing professional. She started her own company called Demand Maven and basically consults software companies all around the country. Uh, and helps with their marketing efforts and had a really, you know, interesting thoughts about, you know, how do you manage projects when you're not necessarily a PM, maybe you're a business owner, maybe you're heading up a marketing department in, in a company and project management isn't necessarily your strong point. Uh, so how do you go about that? How do you move forward and get stuff going through a workflow and managing tasks and people and things like that? So it was a great conversation. And without further ado, here's the interview. All right. Hi, Asia. How are you doing? Welcome to Workflow. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. We're honored to have you. So, you know, I asked you to come on the show, uh, get your perspective on kind of project management. Uh, you have a really interesting views on kind of how to manage projects uh, when you may be the worst project manager, which I thought was really interesting and could make a really interesting topic. So let's start off by, you know, kind of telling everybody who you are and a little bit about what you do. Absolutely. So my name is Asia Matos, uh, and I uh, I started a company earlier this year called Demand Maven, and I basically work with uh, software companies all, all over the nation and help them with marketing. And I am, uh, of course, working with Rindle. Um, and I am not going to lie, I uh, I've worked with project managers in the past. Um, I've worked in an IT consulting firm. Uh, for four and a half years now, they're much more of a creative agency, um, and it, it's interesting. But just because I've always felt like, as a marketer, um, which has been primarily my career, we really don't think of ourselves as project managers. Um, but uh, seeing how PMs traditionally work and how they get things done, move projects along, I've learned tons, and I have also learned exactly where even I. Uh, have, need to improve, need to learn uh, new things about how people uh, manage uh, large-scale projects and also small-scale projects, um, especially in a startup where you have to accomplish things every single day, get things done, um, and sometimes there's not enough time to kind of oversee a project in like a in in a way that a PM would. Um, but so I think a lot of uh, kind of like what we've talked about, like even just working together, is um, what are some of the things that we can take away? What are some of the things that we can uh, implement, make it smoother, make it an easier process? And what are the things that need to be improved? Uh, which has been really, really fun, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting because sometimes when when you're in a you know a cog in the wheel and you're part of a team and somebody else is kind of taking those project management responsibilities, you don't really realize all of the effort that goes into running a project and making sure everything's kind of moving along. 
Um, and then if you start your own company and consultancy and things like that, and now you're kind of tasked with not only getting things done, but you know, running the projects, managing the clients, doing all the things that you need to do, um, you realize quickly that, wow, um, this is a lot. <laughs> and you may not be the best at it, and you may not have those skills honed in just because you've been kind of working more as a team member, right? Not necessarily in that lead PM role. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, it, it, there's so many different levels too, at which we act as a PM. And, and again, like most of us probably don't think of it that way. Most of us think of it like, oh yeah, we just have like tasks and we need to get them done. Um, but when, when we think about things like product development or when we think about uh, building a marketing campaign, for example, or planning out what the content marketing schedule is gonna look like, um, now it, the project has solidified a little bit more. And even though we don't think of them as projects, the way that we apply that kind of behavior, uh, it matters. It makes a difference. And that's something that I 100% recognize and uh, part of what I think we're going to kind of dig into today. Cool. So uh, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your, your project management skills now? <laughs> I would say I'm probably a six or a seven. I'm just going to go okay. ahead and be real. <laughs> All right. So that's not bad. You're, you're above average. I'm, uh, I actually ran a poll on Twitter uh, two days ago uh, asking people how they would, how they would kind of rate <laughs> their project management skills. And um, I would say I'm in the hit or miss kind of category. I'm, there, there are things that are very natural to me to manage from a, from a project perspective. And then there are things that are very unnatural for me to project manage. And some of that just has to do with the kind of project, obviously. Um, but and on, and on the other hand, a lot of it has to do with some of the people that you might be working with, not saying that like people are at fault here, but um, those like the, the different blends of projects and the different variables and every single one of those, some of them I'm amazing at and some of them I'm like, wow, like I, there's a lot that I need to understand um, in order to make this much more smooth. Um, so yeah, I would say I'm like in the six or seven, slightly above average. <laughs> so, so you mentioned, you know, project types or different types of projects, different people, different scenarios. You know, what else uh, is challenging about kind of, especially now that you're kind of heading up and, and taking on a lot of responsibility for these projects? What else, if you can kind of round it out, like the most challenging aspects of running projects today um, that you face kind of running your business? Yeah. The most challenging thing, I would say... If I, if I think about all of the projects that I run as a whole, um, the number one thing is, surprisingly enough, uh, communication. And the reason why I say that is because in, in any given project, you naturally have a lot of moving parts, especially if you're working with a lot of different people at the same time. Um, and you multiply those projects by five and now you're working with tons of different people on every single project at any given time. Um, and consistent communication, clear and effective communication and um, having it be front and center constantly is a huge challenge. You, you forget to notify people about things, you forget to clarify information, you forget to um, provide more context or details or information or um, say yes or say no, like, and, and this at scale is uh, the people who, uh, who I think are great at this are amazing communication 
experts. Like they're in, but they're also prompt. It's very fast. Um, that's actually a huge quality that I've identified of like what makes a great PM. Um, I used to think it was PMs are just really, really good at checking off tasks. Uh, but, but now I've realized that it's, it's really much more exceptional, proactive communication. Like that, that's really, that's really what it is. Um, but I, I would say that's the number one thing actually just across all the projects. And like we get into like tools like Slack. Well, Slack helps with that. Um, but I actually find that however you're managing the project, unless there's some kind of Slack integration or um, whatever your primary communication tool is, and like unless it's able to talk to that, it actually makes it really, really challenging. Yeah, I think I can agree with that. You know, from my experience as well, communication is key. And I, I do think that's kind of, you know, a core value of a project manager, whether you're officially a PM or you're just, you know, kind of heading up a project or taking responsibility or ownership of it. Um, but yeah, I think the tools come into play, but it's also, you know, just being diligent and responsible for communication and honing in, like you're saying, you know, the quality of that communication as well. You know, you don't want to over communicate or you don't want to, you know, use every tool on the map, you know, on the map to communicate with everybody and it becomes annoying and distracting and actually less productive, right? Um, but you still need to be, you know, on top of it, right? Um, so I think it's a, a great, perfect balance that you're looking for uh, in the end. And I do think, you know, today, especially with the te technology we have, you know, the tools definitely come into play. Mm -hmm. One of the best PMs I ever worked with was back when I was at uh, the tech consulting firm uh, called ARC. Uh, they're actually, they're still around and thriving today, which is awesome. They've transitioned much more into more like full service agency now, but best PM I ever worked with, he was ridiculously proactive about communicating. Um, and I remember I consulted on a few different projects while I was there. And um, it was pretty much like a, like every other day check-in. Uh, maybe that's aggressive, but uh, it was just like, how can I help? What do you need? What's going on? What's the status? Um, what can I do to be uh, you know, a vehicle to like get things moving. And, um, he was awesome and just 100%. I think I truly believe it's just because he was so proactive about communicating, but, and it's something I am constantly trying to embody. <laughs> yeah. I think too, you know, from people tend to take on, uh, as much as I can, right. Especially good team members, right. They're like, I oh, know I got it. I got it. I, I'll take care of this. Um, and I think that, you know, project managers or anybody who's leading the team definitely wants to help wherever they can. And sometimes it does need to be kind of probed, right? And, and you have to be proactive about it to in order to kind of get the things off the people's plate or help them along the way in the right areas. Um, because I think a lot of people's personalities are, yeah, I don't need help. I want to make sure they know I can do this, right? And, you know, and do a great job of my job, you know, and, and execute and perform. Um, so yeah, I think pro being proactive and, and communicating well, again, um, those that combination really lends itself to a smooth running project and and you can really you know implement or be an instrument for everybody to help kind of move things along from that project management level from that top level mm -hmm. yeah i am like violently shaking or nodding my head like yes <laughs> I'm, I'm not watching a video so <laughs> cool so so why don't you tell us a little story, like kind of how did you kind of come to this realization and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of the process that you're experiencing today. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I can take it from the perspective of some of the work that uh, uh, not only do I do just within my own business, but then also specifically 
uh, for Rindle. Um, so I am a, a complete and total uh, marketer in every sense of the word, and, and especially for early stage startups and that you kind of do everything. Um, so for me, the, I think I kind of realized this as I was managing the content marketing process. Um, and traditionally, in any given organization, you have your marketing department, um, you might have a head of marketing or a digital marketing manager or something to that effect, and you'll have, as you grow and you scale, you'll add on um, the extra talent that you need to kind of fill in um, the gaps uh, that the uh, head of marketing kind of need, they need to scale themselves essentially. And, um, and then eventually like you'll hire like the social media person, the content person, uh, maybe even a product marketer, what have you. Um, this looks different in a services business, um, but generally speaking, you're, you're, you've got the person on top and then you start uh, expanding the team out. In a, in a smaller team, um, a lot of what ends up happening is like one or two people is kind of doing everything. And you might be managing like a few contractors, freelancers. And uh, I think I definitely came to this realization managing some of the writers that we leverage for some of the content that we produce, um, including myself. And I think the biggest, the, the biggest, the biggest like, oh moment, the aha moment for me was um, we, we work with a writer that we really, really like right now. Um, and after we decide what the next four to six week look like uh, from a content perspective, we'll plan that content, we'll plan the titles, um, the working titles, if you will, the outline, and then we'll start assigning them to writers and then go, go, go. Well, the process doesn't stop there. The writer needs to create the content, create the draft, put it into a Google Sheet, and then at which point we kind of come in and edit, um, offer suggestions. Uh, I might come in and, and make my own edits. Um, they might be very large edits. They might be small edits. It just really depends on the context of the content. Um, we might also have that writer interview someone. And managing that process from start to finish, uh, it, it, it requires a ton of communication, especially if they're a contractor or freelancer and they don't live inside of um, you know, your Slack channel every single day um, or you, know, you don't see them every day. So it's much harder to understand like where is everything. Um, luckily, we work with amazing writers who are totally comfortable managing their workflow in Rindle, which is great. Uh, makes my job super easy. But what I, what I was realizing was there are a few drop-off points and uh, the drop-off points, like there, it would happen second review. So after the second review, that's kind of where like the first drop-off would happen, where I would kind of come in, review everything, um, and it might be a little bit of delay depending on the bandwidth on when either I can get to it or when the writer can kind of come in and make edits based off of feedback, and then from there, staging it into WordPress, publishing it, getting the graphics ready, getting the email ready, so on and so forth. Um, but the amount of the amount of uh, time delay that happens in between every single one of those steps, it can something that's supposed to take maybe two days could take two weeks just because the drop off. Um, and this is actually something that we've been exploring from even a product perspective on how we can mitigate that. And one of the things that has come up over and over and over again have been automations and mirrors, which I think is a feature that is coming soon. Um, but those drop-offs are like, they could totally be mitigated by just consistent, proactive communication. Some of that is 100% on me, right? Like, 
as, as the project manager wearing the project management hat, even though I am not traditionally one, uh, that is 100% the PM's responsibility uh, to kind of investigate, see what's going on and see where we can help. Is there a blocker that maybe we're not privy to? Um, if there is, how can we help? Uh, and then on the flip side, maybe it is just something that kind of like, oh, this is just gonna take that long and we just kind of have to rearrange our calendar accordingly. Um, so nothing is like ever super finite, but. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're saying right here is, you know, something I've experienced myself. Um, part of the reason why we have automations today in Rindle, you know, we've had that since the beginning of time, actually, with the product. Um, and that's mainly because of drop off, like what exactly what you're explaining. And, you know, I would lose a day, sometimes two days, you know, because of communication breakdown, right? Or, you know, something wasn't communicated on time or promptly. So everybody thought everything was running, but it wasn't or moving along and you just, you know, lose that day or two. So I think it's, and it is hard because like what you said too, you don't know if it's because, uh, are they busy? Did mm -hmm. they forget? Right. You know, and, and when, how do you follow up on that? When do you follow up on that and all of those things? So it's really tough to manage. And unfortunately, especially if you're dealing with freelancers and contractors, like the time chunks, they might be working on something, the schedule's different, right? All of these variables come to play and it's, a, it's very tough to manage. Oh yeah, 100%. And I think too, this is so specific to content marketing. Um, it takes time to create good quality content. And if what you get uh, isn't quite there yet, maybe it's 75% of the way there or 60%, or maybe it's 99% of the way there and you just need to like make super tiny edits. Um, especially with content marketing, you really don't know which one you're gonna get. Uh, ideally, you would work with writers and people that you um, know, trust, and really, really love working with and they produce great work. Um, but sometimes you'll get something that uh, maybe you needed more of a specific vision and like you just need to guide the writer in that direction, which is 100% expected on behalf of the marketer, right? Um, so sometimes that happens too, and it's just mitigating, uh, or some of it probably isn't even possible to be mitigated. It's just you have to kind of expect those curveballs. And so what you can do um, to make that process much more seamless is by that communication. And that way you also understand like, what are you actually gonna get at the end of the day? But then also um, when can you expect it to be done? That's kind of like the number one, um, number one challenge. And I would say, even from like a business perspective, um, I, I expect that actually for content marketing. Uh, for example, I just did a guest post um, on a very well-known blog and uh, this was to no fault of, I think really either party, but um, it was written, I think like two or three months ago, but uh, it's a bunch of like company-wide things happened, um, I think with, with them, which, were, which was all great news, but it kind of like pushed back publication on this like one tiny blog post <laughs> so it's kind of crazy and it's all purely because of like communication um so and and like that's another great example of like how it can something so small can turn into this like three month delay and you, you're just not anticipating that right um but it could be you know mitigated with much more regular uh, communication for sure yeah i think too like you know like just touching on content marketing again, you know, and it opened my eyes to once we started kind of formulating that in Rindle and kind of managing that um, when you were helping out with our efforts, you know, opened my eyes to how many steps there really are, how complicated it is, how many moving parts. 
Um, and I think, you know, obviously being like we promote this even with our visual workflow and all those things, but, you know, being open to managing those steps in that process and making sure you're accounting for those steps, right? So if you're saying like, there's a lot of drop off on a second edit, right? For example, being able to put a step in the workflow and manage it properly. So you, you accommodate for that, right? Um, so your, your workflow actually might be a little longer than you anticipated. People are like, oh, it's just a blog post, right? Yeah, we just write it and we'll, we'll publish it. But there's all these steps that happen. Um, so I think that helps. Um, but also to the point of, you know, the freelancer, I think that, you know, you dealing with this, this post with that other, other party and kind of the delay in communication, a lot of that happens too, because you're not in the same platform, which, which you wouldn't be. Um, but, you know, but with freelancers, you can be, right? So like we have our freelance writers inside Rindle with us. So that helps because everybody's at least looking and managing through the same workflow. I think sometimes people try to, you know, manage a freelance separately. Oh, we're not going to let them in. It's too much trouble, this, this, and this. Um, and now you kind of are just emailing them saying, I need that first draft. And then you have some other people internally working on other edits and graphics. So there's this automatic disconnect that happens um, where minimally, if you have everybody in the same workflow in the same system, that certainly improves communication as a whole. Oh, 100%. I, uh, from a demand management perspective, um, I typically use whatever project management software um, that the that the client has, that the company has. And um, that's kind of been an interesting <laughs> workflow in and of itself because I'm consistently jumping between many different platforms at any given time. Um, but even, even in the way that a lot of these projects flow, uh, even in like other PM solutions, um, it is, it's really, really nice being a part of the process, like even like from an outsider perspective. Um, and then of course, also from like a, if you're managing contractors and freelancers, it's really, really awesome having them in your platform. It's great. <laughs> it is definitely a game changer. <laughs> so how many Slack teams do you currently have in your Slack? I am legitimately going to pull it up right now. And uh, there's easily over 20. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I do not want to be on your side. Um, of that notification table. But, um, but yeah, huge problem, you know, a huge challenge, really, you know, like I said, like managing, you know, hopping in different clients and things like that. I mean, being having an agency background myself, kind of dealt with that, where, you know, we as an agency were oftentimes asked, you know, we had our own PM platform and own process, but oftentimes asked to work in theirs, um, which is difficult and challenging. So uh, it kind of adds to the layers of, of management. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Asia, do you, do you have experience kind of with these challenges kind of not only from a, we're talking a lot about freelancers and, and running our own business and consultancy, but from a company perspective, from an internal marketing team perspective, how is this, you know, kind of different in that scenario compared to what we've been talking about? Absolutely. Okay. So uh, my background is in marketing. Um, I have run uh, fairly small teams throughout my career, um, but more so than anything, marketing is has always been positioned as a function that works with, um, if it's not product, it's obviously, definitely, hopefully sales. Uh, it's kind of sad if you're not working with sales. Um, and then of course, like customer success. And I've always found from a, there's, there's like the company level projects, then there's the marketing team specific level projects, and then there's all the way down to the personal productivity, if you will, like the personal tasks that you have, whether they're at work or not, like just at home. And um, I, I've always, um, my vision for, for working in that capacity has always been 
yes, communication has, has kind of like been the challenge, but I would say more than anything, um, visibility. And visibility, but then also always anticipating what's next. That was um, both a challenge, but then also a priority at any given point when I was in-house. And um, being an in-house marketer, I mean, it's, it's all about ensuring that your team, that they, in a way, you're still very much the project manager. You have to make sure that they have what they need to succeed. And at the same time, make sure that you're evangelizing to your internal stakeholders, which the sales team, customer success, product, engineering even, um, making sure that uh, they not only see the value, but they're also able to um, actually implement some of the things that you're producing oftentimes for them. So especially like if you're more of a, in a sales enablement position. Um, and then of course, on the other side, which is revenue generating. So you're either uh, looking at net new accounts or net new revenue, MRR, or what, what have you. Um, so it, it, it's interesting, like from a project management perspective in that way too, but uh, just because so much of what you're doing is making sure that your team is moving forward and that you're accomplishing what you need to, both from a team perspective and then also from a company perspective, always towards some business objective or business goal. And the way that you manage that is 100% dependent on your team, which I found um, it, it really doesn't work when you try to force a process <laughs> on a, on a, on a group of people, uh, especially, especially sales. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that we've seen this, um, historically, um, and then as, as marketing has evolved, the sales have evolved and companies in general have evolved. We've seen this, uh, uh, become far more collaborative, which makes me really happy. Um, but yeah, from an in-house perspective, it's like, it's really about, how your team works, how they want to work, what's natural. Um, and then of course, what needs to happen in order for you to obviously communicate what the objectives are, the goals are, um, and then working to meet them. Did you, did you struggle with, you know, like you're talking about, you know, not forcing a process and, and sales department having a different process than marketing and, and customer success or whatever else, the other departments you have, did you, initially kind of or did your team members find it challenging and frustrating and initially saying like why don't they just work like us you know <laughs> um and then you came to that realization where well that's not going to happen and we got to find the best way to connect the departments together for these like kind of mutual communications oh yes and and even even within your own team everyone works so differently and understanding those different uh flavors if you will um, there are some people who are just violently against putting any tasks or doing anything inside of a project management system or a task management system. And then there are some people who are religious about it. Um, and others still who would really prefer to work inside of spreadsheets, even though it's really not efficient for the entire team at all. <laughs> um, and understanding what, what the balance is between all of those things. Um, but then also making sure that, uh, you have the buy-in and, and I've always found time and time again that when you build it together, you're much more likely to succeed. Um, that's true for any, anything in life really. Um, but I've, I've found even between like say marketing and product where um, if you're in a software company, product, product really knows product's road, roadmap um, and product needs to be able to communicate that to the rest of the organization on um, hopefully when things will be ready. Um, and sometimes, uh, just based off of the nature of a fast moving business, um, the commits 
aren't always met on time, or sometimes they're earlier than you expect. It's rare, but it happens. And so marketing has to scramble, sales has to scramble, customer success has to scramble. Um, so I, I also kind of find that uh, integrations have helped a lot with this. We, as, as the market moves forward and we get much more advanced, um, software is able to in integrate with more things. So when something on the product side changes, marketing is notified. Um, and we're able to actually accommodate for that. Um, is it a perfect world? Definitely not, but I actually think that's where, that's where I think like those team meetings, that regular communication helps so much and just making sure that there's visibility, um, that top priority and on, on all sides. But from a workflow perspective though, I will say working with all kinds of people um, and preferences and figuring out where we can all like meet in the middle. Um, but luckily that's, that's never been like a crazy, crazy thing. Uh, it's just a matter of just making sure that you're being very, very patient. <laughs> uh, and that you are of course, um, presenting solutions that actually fulfill the need. Right. Yeah. I think there's such a, a human element that, you know, we're, we're so tech focused, like, uh, as an industry, right. In the business world in itself, software kind of driving a lot of things, which is super helpful. Um, but there's always a human element, whether it's how your team works and the quirky differences, right. And the preferences or how you come together as a team to kind of make sure you guys all agree on how to work or you're coming together on a weekly basis or a daily basis for standups and communicating deliverables and initiatives, right. There's always that human, um, you know, element and also, experience that comes into play that really helps move projects along um, where it's not always just the software with the communication element improving that which a lot of times it does but it's that kind of human interaction human element and it's just a funny story because you talked about how you know even personal people and you know personal differences on teams and how they work but you know we believe very much in, internally at Rindle like you know we have a a very iterative kind of workflow. Like if we decide something needs to change, we change it, we decide as a team and we make a change in our workflow and how we, we kind of process things. Um, but Scott, our senior UX designer, likes to, to mark things complete when he's done with it, even though the whole task isn't complete because it has a couple more steps. So, you know, we kind of said, okay, it's not really how the rest of the team is really working, but no problem. Like if you want to work that way, that's kind of what you do. Um, it's not, uh, it, it helps you out, which is great. And, you know, we actually were again, to, uh, able to leverage automations to, you know, I just let him mark it complete. And then when it moves to the next step in a workflow, we have an automation that marks it incomplete. So the next person <laughs> can mark it complete. So it's kind of funny, but you know, it helps him a lot. And when he's looking at his work and the rest of the team doesn't work that way, but it's a kind of a personal nuance. So it's just kind of an interesting little uh, tidbit on, that people definitely, even if you, even though you share a common ground on how your team is working as a whole, you definitely have those nuances. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember um, there was a startup that I worked for um, previously, actually, to starting to ban Maven, and uh, one of the nuances was um, my boss at the time, who I still love to this day. Great, great man. Uh, he just loathed all project management software and he would have rather seen a spreadsheet over anything else. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget. I, I had a conversation with, um, uh, one of my teammates on the marketing team, uh, and we were trying to figure out, we were using a competitive software at the time. And, um, 
he, we were trying to figure out how we could automatically import our tasks into the spreadsheet so we would never have to update it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was just one of his quirks. He just really, really did not like any kind of project management software. It was really hard for him to see from a high level what was actually being worked on. Um, and he himself did not leverage any kind of tools like that. He would, he was uh, a calendar person and a spreadsheet person and like that was just it. <laughs> Um, but that was a quirk that he had and we had to um, figure out a way to work around it even though the rest of the team did not work that way at all. <laughs> it was just him. <laughs> cool. So so talking about teams again or at least different departments within your internal company example that you're talking about, um, you mentioned kind of balancing you know, deliverables and initiatives and deadlines changing or deliverables being delayed by one department, like product as an example, not committing and, and getting those features done or whatever it might be. Um, you know, what was your, because we actually did an episode on, on meeting rhythms and things like that, but what was your, your kind of meeting cadence uh, within the teams when, as far as multiple departments are concerned? You know, did you meet daily, weekly, monthly? How did you kind of manage the communication between all the teams? Oh, gosh it was always so different across the different companies. Um, everyone, every company has a unique meeting cadence and rhythm and um, no two have been the same. They've been very similar and they kind of all revolve around the same like core pieces, which there's always some kind of weekly team meeting. Um, and that can be once or sometimes even twice a week. Um, and some companies I found prioritized offline communication more so than in person. So for example, um, you might have the weekly team meeting or the um, like whole company weekly team meeting, um, like where everyone's involved, not just department heads. Uh, but then on top of that, there would also be kind of like the weekly um, department head newsletter, which is like the email that goes to everyone every single Sunday night. Um, I, I mean, I've seen it all. And then on top of that, like the, the team itself might meet daily. Uh, I would say the one that was probably my favorite, uh, my, my personal favorite cadence was um, we would have a weekly team meeting that was just department heads. And we actually called that the weekly tactical, which is something that I would love to write about soon. Um, so there's actually, there's like a whole, uh, uh, framework, if you will, for how these weekly tacticals are run. And it's actually not like a brand new concept. It's a, it's a, if I'm not mistaken, it's actually a pretty old like thing to do, but the way that you run the tactical, I think is so interesting because it really forces teams to talk about, um, overall company objectives and, but then tear it down to specific action items on what we're actually going to handle, which I really am a fan of. Uh, but then there would also be the, um, daily scrum and, uh, we always would say it would take 30 minutes and it would never would. It would always take an hour. Um, and then finally, the end of the week team meeting, which uh, was the entire company. It was the whole company, everyone, not just department heads. And um, that was much more like, here's what we accomplished in the week. Here's like the really big news that everyone needs to hear. And yeah, that would, that would take about an hour. Um, the one thing that I actually added to that cadence was the... Uh, it, it was the Sunday night newsletter, which I actually took from a previous role. Um, but to to put all of to put all of that in writing, I actually felt like was was really powerful. Um, so that way, you might forget certain notes in your weekly team meeting with everyone because um, everyone's there, uh, and there's usually a lot of content to cover. But to actually have like the written transcript, if you will, from every single department on like what actually 
was presented during that meeting, like that was so helpful uh, from a, a previous role that I served in. And I implemented that uh, at the next role that I served in because I was like, oh, this this is kind of missing. And I and to me, it was super helpful and I'm sure it might be helpful for others, um, especially if people can't make it, et cetera. So, so what are some of the things, and we talked a lot about kind of the challenges what are some of the things we could do to kind of better managing projects from this perspective of, hey, you're not a PM, you may not even get yourself, consider yourself a good PM, you know, what can we do to make these things better? I think first and foremost, if you're following a process or if you can, uh, if you can operationalize, if you will, um, what the work actually is, like what is actually being done, when you have a process to follow, you can identify where it's falling apart. Um, it's kind of like one of those things. It's like I can't remember what the rule is in science, but like you can't you can't measure something without like impacting it. Um, I I would say the same is true from a process perspective. It, you really super can't measure it if you don't actually have something to measure. So um, that's where I would start. Um, and if you really struggle with project management, like I. I would say I am not perfect at all. Uh, I definitely have things to improve on. I would try to identify where does the drop-off happen if, if it's truly a drop-off issue and in what way is the drop-off occurring? So for example, is it communication? Uh, is it handoff? Um, is it perhaps, uh, maybe it's a visibility challenge where you can't um, visibly see something from like a, a project perspective. Um, I would try to identify what is missing where it's happening and i think the last thing is uh, a always and forever test test what is going to fill that gap um, so for example uh, for our content marketing process we we've kind of realized oh these are where the drop-offs are happening this is what we can do to um and like, this is what we can implement uh, to help us like fix those drop-offs and we're essentially filling the gap and it, it might not work perfectly but it's something that we're going to test see if it actually does what we need and then uh, move on to the next uh, project management challenge that we have if if there are others which the more that you do there's typically going to be more challenges right <laughs> uh, but i would say those those are the three basic steps and i think more than anything um just be self-aware if it's something that you're kind of impacting into the process or if it's something that uh that maybe you need to kind of improve which is always a possibility um, i've definitely been there i'm still there in many ways <laughs> um, and then of course figuring out how does that translate to like the team perspective even if you're working with freelancers in a way they're still very much part of your team so cool so Thank you very much for being on this podcast. This is a really interesting talk. And in workflow tradition, we do want to kind of finish off with tips for taking action. So if you can kind of summarize, you know, this talk and kind of what you would kind of give tip, you know, to our audience, what tips you would give to kind of take away. Absolutely. Okay. So tips for taking action. Uh, first and foremost, I would say is self-awareness. Start with how you work, but then also kind of how you work within your team or the people that you are ultimately uh, accomplishing the work with. Uh, I would say number two is identify where the process is falling apart. Um, and this is kind of where we're looking at the drop-offs uh, and also um, why those drop-offs are happening. Three, fill in the gap. Uh, it's really, drop-offs happen for a few finite reasons and filling in the gap should be pretty crystal clear 
uh, if you're not able to uh, clearly fill in the gap, then the definition of what that drop-off is might actually not be so clear. Like it, it might, not, might not actually be truly defined. Um, and then after that, continue to test and iterate. I 100% I agree that your workflow will change over time. And it's supposed to, if it's going to run efficiently. Um, there are probably some steps that you'll add. There are probably some steps that you'll take away. Um, and I really think the last thing is probably to automate as much as you can. Um, I'm a huge fan of what Rindle has built, obviously, um, but especially within automations. I think that that's really the game changer. Um, if you can automate uh, a lot of a lot around your process, I think that's where you'll see those drop-offs avoided um, as much as possible, at least, and that's where you'll really start to kind of flow out your work. Yeah, I'm really excited to actually further our workflow on the marketing side, um, you know, with more automations, but also leveraging mirrors. Um, and I think that that's actually going to piece together even some of the jumping between boards and tracking stuff down. We could actually mirror certain data or certain tests on different boards. So I'm excited to kind of work with you and, and work out some of those nuances and figure out how best to work with that new feature that we have and kind of just launched um, and how we can improve our process. So maybe, maybe we'll do another podcast episode when we get our new and improved workflow together. We could talk about that. <laughs> I'm super excited. Thanks again uh, for having me, Brian. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. For those of you interested, you can reach Asia on Twitter at Asia Matos or on her website, demandmaven.io. Well, I think that about wraps us up for the day. If you have a question for us, you can call it into our voicemail number at 860-577-2293, or you can email it to us at workflow at rindle.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Thunder Rock by Magic Studio used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for Workflow and visit rindle.com slash workflow dash podcast for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.